0: unlikely heroes what a what a weekend to do that to talk about unlikely heroes and two weeks ago on Mother's Day we talked about an unlikely hero her name was Rahab and then last week Pastor Jimmy did a fabulous job talking about Peter the unlikely heroes and we're gonna continue to talk about a portrait of an unlikely hero And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and uh, and and this is kinda gonna set the stage for our heroes and, and what the Word of God says about the heroes in our life and how you can be a hero as well, right? And so the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of unlikely heroes, such a great cloud of heroes or witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us as heroes and so that God wants every one of us in this room to know that we can be a hero we can be a hero to somebody else we can be an unlikely hero amen and um, and so I want to tell you another story this story is, is actually a real life story of a person that's been hidden from history for a, quite a long time, about 50 years. It's, uh, it's 1943 and in Germany we see that Hitler has gone c- completely mad and actually he's taken over most of Europe and he's marching against so much of europe and now he's in poland his army is in poland and uh, they have set up what is called a ghetto a a ghetto a war ghetto a warsaw ghetto in poland and they squeeze into that ghetto they make these big walls large large walls to keep people in the city and keep, keep people from going out of the city and so uh they, they make these big walls and they assign soldiers around the wall and they protect this city from anyone trying to escape from the city. They were actually really wanting all of the Jews in that city to starve to death. So they turned off the electricity in a lot of the homes and they didn't give them the necessities of life to be able to live. And thousands of people died in this city, in these ghettos, in, in this ghetto every day. Thousands of children were starving to death. It's in this backdrop that we find this unlikely hero. In fact, the truth of the matter is is that in life, unlikely heroes always emerge from the pack and do something that other people are afraid to do, but they're just like you and I. Unlikely heroes are just like you and I. They're ordinary common people that say enough is enough. And into this backdrop, Irena Senla Emerges. Who is Arena Sendler? I mean, most people don't even know her name. And Irena Sendler is actually a woman who is in charge of making sure that in this city that they contain tuberculosis. She works for the health department, the social service department. And, and that's really in, important for how she is used by God. And Irena Sedla decides that enough is enough. She's going to emerge out of this and that she's going to do something about this atrocity that's happening in this city. And so the reason why she's got this in her heart is because she believes that every young person, every child and every individual is special to God. And so because she's got influence, she can travel inside and outside of the city and she begins to smuggle in the city medicine she begins to smuggle into the city food so that the little children won't starve. And, but she realizes that so many of them are still going to die. So she has to come up with another plan. And so Rena, what she does is She begins to smuggle these little Jewish children out of the city and hides them so that they could be protected. And then she places them with Catholic families, with Christian families, so that they'll survive because they were surely going to die. It's an incredible story about an unlikely hero. In fact, she would smuggle the little children out in burlap bags. She would smuggle the little children in body bags. She would smuggle the little children, actually, listen to me, in toolboxes, the little precious little children. She'd have toolboxes. And, and she actually trained her dog to bark so loud that when uh, a soldier would come and investigate and question her, the dog would bark so loud that they couldn't hear the little baby cry. Crying. Picture the scene of these parents having to let go of their children. Having to trust this woman. And through the years, Irena said, to, listen to me, saved 2,500 Jewish children. Wow! Unbelievable story that most of us have never heard before. An unlikely hero. Well, the story goes on that what she did is she actually took a jar and she put the names of all of the children, she put their given names, the new names, the Christian names, on a piece of paper and their Jewish name, and she put it in a jar and she buried the jar in the backyard of a neighbor's house. Unfortunately, Irena Setma, she actually got caught and they beat her so bad they tortured her and persecuted her so bad they broke her legs and they broke her feet and they sentenced her to die many of those people that were in that city were actually deported to death camps where they were they were shot dead and put in mass graves and so now she is deported into one of these concentration camps these death camps And she's about to be put to death. But the the organization that she was with actually paid off one of the prison guards. And just as she was actually being brought to be executed, she was able to escape. And after she escaped, she went back to where she lived. And she pulled out the jar. And she took the names of these kids after the war was over. And she literally reunited these kids with family members. Most of the parents had been put to death, but they had distant relatives. And she reunited each one of these kids with their relatives. What a story, an incredible story. I want to tell you one more story this morning. It's a story about two unlikely heroes in the Bible. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter one. Exodus chapter one. And let me give you some history behind this story as well. Joseph, because God's favor was on his life, Joseph actually rose to great prominence in Egypt. And the Bible says that Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh. Here's a Jewish young man who is second in command to Pharaoh. Pharaoh loved Joseph and his family. But the years went on over a hundred years passed, and the Bible says another king, another pharaoh arose that could care less about Joseph, could care less about God, and could care less about the pact that the other pharaoh made with Joseph. And he, and he started to notice that, that the population of the Jews started to grow so quickly and so rapidly that he had to do something about it. Now notice what it says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names are Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it's a girl, keep her alive. That was contraception at its worst. And the truth of the matter is that the king of Egypt wanted to exterminate all the boys and so he comes up with this plan before he came up with this plan he tried another contraceptive way of keeping the population down what did he do well the Bible says that he worked the Israelite men so hard he really worked them so hard that they would be so tired that when they got home they didn't want to make babies but it backfired the more that he made them work hard the more they want to have babies I'm just stating it as it is in the scriptures. (laughs) And the Bible says that they were growing so fast, and there were so many of them, that that Pharaoh had to come up with a plan, and he had to come up with a plan to exterminate the children. And notice what these two unlikely heroes do. The Bible says that, that they feared God more than they feared man. They feared God more than they feared man. Let me tell you something. When you fear God, when you love God more than you love man, you're in in line to be an unlikely hero. When you fear God more than you fear man, then God can really use you in a great way. When you love God more than you love man, the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. Amen. But when you love God, then you're released to do whatever God calls you to do because you're so in love with God. And so the Bible says that these women, they decided to go against the king's edict. They, they went against what he wanted. And that's a scary thing. I don't think sometimes we understand the gravity of what they were really actually doing. In other words, Pharaoh says, he thought to himself, you know, if, if I can't make the men work hard and so that they won't want to have sex with their wife, then I'll kill the little boys myself. But let me tell you something. Killing babies, look at me. Killing babies inside the womb and outside the womb is wrong. It's always wrong. Let me say it again. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what those in authority say. Killing babies is wrong. It's wrong inside the womb and it's wrong outside the womb. Come on somebody say amen. Why? Because God's word says that babies are knit together in his mother's womb. Before we were born, God knew us. And we know that the word of God teaches that we are formed fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. Psalms 139. I love it. 139 says, you created me, O God, in my mother's womb. You knit me together. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Wow. What is he talking about? He's talking about the womb. When no one else is seeing, God is at work. When no one else is noticing God is at work right from the time when it is conceived a child is a work of God is a masterpiece of God he says when I was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body even before it was formed God you already saw me and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be how precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. Listen to me, young people in this room. I'm not here to judge anyone. Woe is me. And I'm not here to make you feel bad. And I'm not here to make you feel condemned because of perhaps something that you've done, you've made a mistake. But let me tell you, young person, before you decide, before you make a decision to do something that takes you outside of the will of God, and it will reap incredible consequences, I want you to know that God says abortion is wrong. Abortion is an abomination to God because we are killing a human life. Why do we know that it's human? Because let me tell you, at conception itself, that child already has formed his essential uniqueness. Because at conception, you and I are essentially a unique individual. Did you know that at conception, the way you think and the way you feel are already placed in your genetic code? In your genetic code, in your biologic genetic code, the way you think and feel is already placed there. It's like a micro trip by God that's placed there. Day one, conception takes place. 18 days later, the heart begins to beat. 21 days later, a baby begins to pump its own blood with its own heart. 28 days later, the eye and the ear and the respiratory system begins to form. 42 days later, the brain waves are already being recorded. The skeletal system is already complete, and they have reflexes you can find the baby sucking its thumb at seven weeks, at eight weeks, all the body systems are present. At nine weeks, the baby can squint, swallow, move and make a fist to say, give me more food. At 11 weeks, they have spontaneous breathing movements and fingernails are formed and all the body parts are already working, the system is already working 12 weeks It weighs one out, 16 weeks. The genital organs are already created, 18 weeks. The vocal cords work and the baby can cry. I wonder how many millions of babies cried, how many billions, how many millions of babies cried and screamed as a foreign uh, object came in to destroy that unborn life. At 23 weeks, 15% chance of viability outside the womb. And you say, well, if it can't survive outside the womb, then we can kill it. Let me tell you something. If you take an old person who can't feed himself and you starve him to death, does it make it right because he can't survive without somebody helping him? Please, folks, foolish things of this world, the arguments that are set up, the strongholds that are set up against the knowledge of God, 24 weeks, 60 percent of the babies can survive prematurely. In 25 weeks, 79% of the babies survive prematurely. And Jeremiah declares, before I was born, God knew who I was. Before I was born, God knew who I was. And Proverbs 6:17 says that God detests the shedding of innocent blood. And friends, I don't know anything that's more precious. I don't know anything that's more innocent than a little child in his or her mother's womb. And these women, they know it's wrong. And they say to themselves, no matter what the king says, even though we're called to honor them and to pray for them, no matter what those in authority say, it's wrong. An unlikely hero emerges from the crowd and decides to make a difference. An unlikely hero decides, I can't stand around and wait for people to die. I can't stand around. I've got to do something. Because it seems like everyone else is waiting for somebody else to do something. Did you ever notice? We, we live in a world of people that are always waiting for someone else to step up, to step out of the crowd, to lead the way and do something. But an unlikely hero decides, I'm not going to be a part of the status quo. I'm going to emerge out of the crowd, and I'm going to do something to bring change. Somebody say amen. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're still the funniest looking person I have ever seen a my life, and you need to lighten up right now. In fact, the truth is an unlikely hero emerges from the pack and decides to do what is right even when it costs them something. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's wrong, if God said it's wrong, then it's wrong. And an unlikely hero decides that there's something even more important than self-preservation. I said it a couple of weeks ago, that self-preservation is one of the greatest enemies of compassion. That because we want to preserve our own reputation or even our own life, that we're filled with fear and we back off when we know that we're supposed to step up and do something to make a difference in this world. And friends, that's really scary because so often we're, we're swimming against the tide. So often we're going against everyone else around us. But the truth is, an unlikely hero emerges from the pack and decides to do what is right because he knows if he doesn't, people are going to die. Precious, innocent people are going to be hurt. And just like Irena Sendla, these women said, this is wrong. I don't care if no one else is going to stand with me. I don't care if I stand all by myself. See, they had a choice to make. An unlikely hero always has a choice to make. Am I going to live in the status quo? Or am I going to emerge from the pack and stand even alone if I have to, to make a difference in other people's lives? These midwives were called to stand before the most powerful man in the world and to defy this most powerful man, just like Rahab did as we talked two two weeks ago. She was, these women were actually looking at instant death if they defied the king. But Exodus chapter 1 verse 17 tells us the midwives, however, I love that, that word however is key. They feared God. Now some theologians say they were Hebrew midwives and some theologians say they were Egyptian midwives. And friends, I want to tell you, I kind of, I lean towards that they were Egyptian midwives and that makes it even tougher because now they had to go against their own people. But they had a fear of God, just like. The, the the Egyptian pharaoh had a fear of God when Joseph was there and he blessed Joseph because he feared his God just like King Nebuchadnezzar came to the place in his own life where he recognized that the God who created the heavens and the earth was the God of the Jews these these Egyptian midwives, they had a fear of God. It says, however, they feared God and did not do what the king commanded them to do. Listen to me. There comes a time, look at me in the balcony, in the cafe, live stream today. There comes a time, young person, in all of our lives, when the real, when the real you will come out, it will be revealed. There comes a time in our lives when we'll all have to make a choice. And it might be a really big choice. It may mean dying for your faith. It may mean losing your job. It may mean giving up a relationship or losing a relationship. It may mean that you're laughed at and ridiculed and persecuted. But every one of us in this room will have to face a decision in our life. And the fear of God will help us to make the right decision. Now when I talk about fear, I'm not talking about they shivered in fear, I'm talking about a healthy respect, a healthy love for God, and a healthy fear for God to say, you know what, I don't answer to to the Egyptian Pharaoh, I answer to God, and killing babies is wrong, I cannot do it. You can take my life, but I will not go against the laws of God. There comes a time in all of our lives when we'll have to make a decision, who comes first, God or people? Moses had to make that decision when he turned away from the things that were given to him in the palace so that he would stand with God's people. The three Hebrew boys had to make a decision. I either bow before the king, Nebuchadnezzar, or I'm thrown into the fire, and they'd rather be thrown into the fire than to go against God and against what God wanted. There comes a time in a God-living, God-fearing, God-honoring, God-respecting person That every one of us will even have to go against those that are in authority. Now you say, well, the Bible says that we're to pray for those that are in authority. You know, Romans chapter 13 tells us that people have been put over us in authority. And that that they bear the sword as instruments of God. But when that authority goes against the law of God, then the people of God have to make a decision and a choice. And let me say to you in all respect and dignity. Mr. President, I honor you and I pray for you. I pray for you every day, but when you go against the laws of God, I must stand on God's side. Come on, somebody. I must stand on God's side. I must say that killing unborn babies is wrong. It is always wrong. Redefining marriage is wrong. It will always be wrong. God's word is the last word when it comes to the definition of marriage, when it comes to the definition of what is right and what is wrong. And God's word tells us this is a family and I must stand with God. I must stand with God. I must speak the truth. I must preach the truth. I must live the truth. I must support the truth. I pray for you. I pray for all those in authority. But we must stand for them the truth of God's Word! Somebody say, Amen! And friends, this is not a popularity contest. This is all about what is right and what is wrong. And, th- and, and there are just, those are just two issues that are facing us in the coming days. There are so many others that we need to be wise as Christians to understand it's not a popularity contest. And the truth is, let me be honest with you, I don't know of any candidate that's running for Presidency or any others that I could honestly say this is a through-and-through born-again Christian because all of them Have not been voted on and elected because the people will not stand up Let me tell you if the Christians in our country listen to me look at me if the Christians in our country will stand up for what the Word of God says and The truth we will have people in government that are God-fearing people. It's not about the pocketbook It's not about the wallet, and it's not about the economy. As Bill Clinton once said, it's about what God's Word says. Let me move on. It's getting hot in here. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor Steve is the funniest-looking person I've ever seen in my life. But we still love him. Come on, somebody. And so we have to do what is right. We respect you. We pray for you. We honor you. We pray for you, but we cannot conform to the quick fixes of this world and the standards or philosophies of this world. As Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't become, listen to me, listen to what it says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking of what is right. Don't become so well-adjusted with your society, with your culture, that you don't even think about what is pure and just and what God wants and what God's Word says. Instead, fix your attention on God and on God's Word so that you'll be changed, transformed on the inside out, and then you'll know what is the perfect will of God. Listen to me. God wants to raise up unlikely heroes in in our school systems. Young person, He wants to raise you up as an unlikely hero. He wants to raise you up in your families. He wants to raise you up in your youth group. He wants to raise you up in your neighborhoods. God wants you to do what is right. And the truth is an unlikely hero like these two women, they said to themselves, even if it costs us our lives, we're not talking about something insignificant. We're talking about saving lives, one life at a time. We're talking about saving people, one person at a time. We're talking about human beings with a heart that have been created fearfully and wonderfully knit together and created by God. We're talking about children, and every child and every person is important to God. Let me say that again. Every child and every person, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe and what they don't believe, they're important to God. Every atheist is important to God. Every Muslim is important to God. Every Jewish person is important to God. Every homosexual is important to God. Every adulterer is important to God. Every prostitute is important to God. Every Christian is important to God. Every person on the face of this earth is important to God. And God sent his son that everyone, he wills that none should perish, that all should come to repentance no matter who they are. Everyone is important to God. Everyone deserves someone reaching out and telling them that God loves them, that Jesus died for their sins, and that Jesus wants to change them and transform their life so that they can be everything that God wants them to be. Come on, somebody help me out right now. And give the Lord a clap offering say, people are important to God. People are important to God. And an unlikely hero sees the worth of every individual. They're not just poor little Jewish children. They're not just outcasts of society. They're going to die. And we can't say they're going to die anyway, so I don't want to get involved. Irina Senla could see the God-inspired worth of every little boy, every little girl she helped save from, from Hitler. The two Egyptian midwives, they could see that every child Every boy, every Jewish boy, no matter where he lived, no matter who he was, was important to God. And the good Samaritan, he understood, not like the priest, oh, we can get so religious. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. Religion also can become one of the greatest obstacles to compassion that this priest was so busy being religious, that this Levite was so busy worshiping the Lord, that he forgot that that individual that was lying in the gutter, that was screaming out for help, that individual was worth saving because every individual is worth something to God. Come on somebody, glory to God. That every individual needs to be loved and taken care of. And you see, an unlikely hero doesn't care who gets the credit. Doesn't care. I don't care who gets the credit. As long as someone is helped. It's kind of like the story of the unnamed servant in the Bible. He's just doing God's work. And the Bible says he's casting out demons and he's feeding the hungry. And he's doing all of these things for the poor. And the disciples, they come to Jesus one day and they said, Hey, Jesus, we caught this guy. We don't know his name. We asked him for his Assemblies of God credentials. He had none. He's not even a part of our church, and he's doing all these good things, but, but he's not of us. Come on, tell him to stop doing it. And Jesus said, if he's not against us, he's for us. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. And we don't even know his name. He doesn't have a name. He's the unnamed servant in the scriptures, but God knows his name. And when he died and went to heaven, God said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've done all of these things in secret. Openly, I now reward you for what you've done. And lastly... And oftentimes, an unlikely hero doesn't even realize the potential of saving a life. Wow. Wow. Listen to me. Listen to the rest of the story. Arena Senla, she now is released from, from the death sentence she had on her life. She gets this jar. After the war, she reunites these kids with their parents And she lives to be well over 93 years old. Nobody knows her story. She was actually nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. She lost to who? No other than... Who? No. No? Anybody know? Vice President Gore. She saved 2,500 children from absolute extinction and destruction and she lost the Nobel Peace Prize for a little comic strip that he put together. Let me tell you. Listen, shh. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you the end of the story quickly. She lived to be over 93 years old and the woman who took care of Irena Sendler was the little baby that she smuggled in a toolbox. She became a nurse and took care of Irena Sendler until she died. Friends, look at me, every one of you in this room, you just don't know who you're going to minister to. You just don't know. In your daily life, going about business. You just don't know whose name is going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You just don't know if it may be an Abraham Lincoln or a Billy Graham or D.L. Moody. Can I ask you the question? Who knows the name of the the man who led D.L. Moody to the Lord? And D.L. Moody became a great preacher who won hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. You just never know who you're ministering to. I want to I wanna ask for a moment, and we're going to finish right here, but I'm going to ask Jackson to come. Jackson Hunt, give Jackson a big hand again. And um, and, Danny, and Danny, Jackson's got one more song he's going to do. But I, I'm going to ask him a couple of questions real quick because I was actually asked by someone in the church to allow Jackson to come and minister. And, and, and here, here's the honest truth. I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. Um, who, who is this young man and what does he do and is this a favor, a family favor? But as I began to talk with Jackson and hear his story and what he wants to do, I said to myself, me as a pastor and us as a church, we have to get behind young people who are willing to defy the status quo and emerge like an unlikely hero. And, and, and say, God, whatever it takes, I want to go minister to the least of this world. And, and I want him to tell you for a moment where he was educated, what he's done in the past, and what he's going to do in the future, because this, to me, is, is a story in the making of an unlikely hero. I don't think anybody in this room has heard of Jackson Hunt except for three people, four people. And the truth is, there's an unlikely story of an unlikely hero that can emerge and I believe that that's what we can do if every one of us realize that God is calling us to emerge out of the pack and make a difference in our world. Jackson, tell us a little bit about what you're doing and where you're going. Absolutely.
1: Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really a joy. Uh, thank you. Um, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri, the epicenter of the Assemblies of God. Um, I was raised in the church. I used to work for the, the headquarters I went to Missouri State University and studied music. I always had a passion for music. Um, And then I did my master's at the University of Southern California. Um, I went to a secular university because when I was 16, I was called to the mission field. I went on a trip to Mexico and felt like God really wanted to use me. And I knew that if I wanted to go to a closed country, I needed to have a a secular degree to allow me in. Um, And throughout my old teenage years, I traveled across the world from China to Morocco to um, all over Southeast Asia and Africa doing missions. But I got older, and I couldn't figure out how it ever work. I wanted to do music, and nothing thing I ever did uh, was in music. Um, and I really felt like God was never going to be able to use me on the mission field in music. Um, so I worked uh, for the headquarters for a few years, and God stirred in me, and he said, Jackson, he said, I've called you to Nineveh. And he said, if you don't go, I'm going to send you there. Uh, but you should go on your own before I take a whale to spit you out. <laughs> and so last year I moved to Los Angeles where I currently live working in the music industry I serve with Andre Crouch I write gospel songs for gospel artists as well as secular artists I was in this church last year sitting in uh, one one I think I was sitting right back there and I heard you commission uh, Miss Nicole to Jordan I've worked in the Middle East before I sent her a message um, she came to Springfield and did her training I met up with her and her team In November she sent me an email and said if you would like to serve with us in Jordan, here is what we need. And everything on that page was music related. And so uh, for a month in August, I'm gonna be overworking with her in Jordan, doing music ministry, reaching out to the, uh, the Muslims there through uh, the gift that God's given me. We're gonna be doing some concerts to draw them in. We're gonna be doing an Arab Idol talent show. We're gonna be doing some Syrian relief effort uh, for the victims of, of the Syria kind of uh, uprising. Um, so, this, this church has a little bit of place in my heart, as I know a lot of you know Nicole. Um, I don't really know her, but I'm excited to work with her and the, and the team over there. And just to use my gift of music that I don't know how it's going to be used yet someday, um, but just take this step uh, for today and to serve in Jordan and, and his kingdom and, and, and work with the least of these, as Matthew 2140 has called us to do. So, Amen. Amen. Let's give this young man a big hand.
0: Amen. Now, now, you you, you understand the divine connection? Here's a young girl in Long Island growing up in this church who feels that God has called her to reach out to people that are very hard to, to witness to and to share her faith with. But she's gonna go because the world is filled with people that are status quo people that don't wanna step out and do something. And she's in Jordan serving today. And now she's connected with another young man who wants to live his life in a way in which he's going to make a difference. And I think every one of us in this room should be in awe that young people are standing up and saying, I want to make a difference. And in a moment, I'm going to ask Jackson if he go to the piano. In a moment, I'm going to give an altar call. Jackson, can you just play something in the background for me, and then you're going to sing a song in a moment. But, but I want to stop right now, because I believe the Holy Spirit is in this place. This is Pentecost. Is it this is Pentecost Sunday. And I believe that if God calls you, he equips you. You never need to be afraid of what God is saying to you because if He's called you, He's going to give you the courage, but you've got to step out. God never equips you until you first take a step out. God never gives you what you need until you step out and take a step of faith and say, I will make a difference in my world. And let me tell you something. God is calling some young people in this place right now to say, you know what? I'm going to stand up. No matter what's happening in my public high school, no matter how they're throwing out the Bible and and they don't want you to talk about God. I'll smuggle in the word of God because I have the word contained in me and you can't stop me. I remember going to a public college and they used to mock me and my professor used to try to try to get me to 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 be confused about God. And I just I got even more disciplined in in my studies and understand that God is real. And I began to preach right there on the campus and they laughed at me but I preached on the campus and every person I smuggled Jesus into their hearts by being a carrier of courage and being a carrier of the gospel. Friend, it's in you already that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you then it's in you already all you have to do is smuggle Jesus into your school smuggle Jesus at your workplace bring him with you wherever you go because he lives inside of you and be courageous I don't know about you but I want to go beyond the status quo and I want to make something something beautiful out of what we can do here on Long Island in just a couple of weeks look at me as I close just in a couple of weeks we're going to go out to Hempstead It's not even in in, in our own backyard, but in Hempstead, and we're gonna take care of the poor and the needy, and we're gonna reach out, and there's still time for you to make a difference, and we're gonna say to this whole island, we've never done this before. This is the first time I've ever heard of such a great humanitarian effort in Long Island from churches, 50 plus churches, and Bethlehem Assembly of God said, we're not gonna wait for another church to do it. We're gonna lead the way. We're going to step out. Let me just tell you. This is awesome. Let me tell you what's going on. God has been doing miracle after miracle after miracle. You know that we had a budget. We had to raise $72,000 for this outreach. I'm happy to tell you. You guys stepped up big. But I'm also happy to tell you that some of you in this room, you went out and collected funds and we have met our budget. We have miraculously met our budget. We're already making plans. Listen. We're already making plans to have another outreach in Riverhead next year. To pass the torch to churches in, in, in Suffolk County and say you can do what we've done. Amen? What an incredible opportunity we have in front of you. And every one of us, we can make a difference right where we are. You don't have to wait for the outreach. You don't have to wait to be called to go to Jordan. You don't have to be wait to, to be called to go to the Middle East or wherever. You can make a difference right where you are. I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you this question because I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare go on and close this service without asking you this question. It's the most important question I can ever ask you. I was in a church in Biginton, and one third of the church got up and came forward when I asked this question. It was unbelievable. People got saved people's lives were transformed last week and and, and I was just amazed at this because God speaks and when God speaks people are changed I want to ask you a question if you died today are you sure are you positively sure that you'd go to heaven you say pastor I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins you know the Bible says that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross that if you believe in him and you receive him as a free gift he'll come into your life and he'll, he'll write your name in heaven. Just like these names were written and put in the jar. He'll write your name and, and, and He'll place it in heaven. And all you have to do is receive the love of God in your life and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure if I die today, I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I want you to raise your hands right now. Anybody in this room, all across the balcony, the first floor, the cafe, you say, Pastor, pray for me. Anybody in this room, you say, pray for me, Pastor Steve i'm not sure that if i die today i'd go to heaven i want jesus to forgive me of my sins anybody in this place god bless you for that hand anybody else here today anybody else in the balcony you say pastor pray for me in a moment some of the altar workers are going to come and if you raise your hand i'm gonna i'm gonna invite you and i invite everyone else i'm gonna invite you to go to one of the altar workers peter and lou would just stand right here just come and stand right here and if you raise your hand or you didn't raise your hand you say i I want you to pray for me today that I would receive Christ as my Savior, my Lord. I want Jesus to forgive me and write my name in heaven. When I give the altar call in a moment, I want you to be the first one to come and meet one of these guys here, and they're going to pray for you and give you some information. In the first service, several people came forward, but I'm, I'm, I'm calling you out today. I'm calling you out today, and don't you, don't you sit in your seat for a moment and think, this is not for me because every one of us in this room we can go to the next level we can make a difference in our life I'm asking God, Father help me as a pastor you know it's easy to be honest with you the easiest thing I do look at me for a moment the easiest thing I do is preach to you on Sunday the hardest thing I do every day of my life is make it a reality in my own personal life the hardest thing I do is to live up to what I say to you because we're all human And I'm coming home from district council. It's a a big meeting with all the pastors and we'll let you know a little bit about what's God, what God is doing with our church and leadership. But I'm coming home on the plane and and I'm tired. It's a long week, man. We did business, we prayed, we sought the Lord and, you know, and and I'm tired, I just wanna hang out. And JetBlue is dangerous because JetBlue's got that little TV right in front of you with, you know, and like, you could just, you know, put the headphones on and, and, and just watch the movie, you know? But God is always placing somebody right next to me, and I'm thinking to myself, "This guy is important to God." And so I begin a conversation with Zim. Zim is a young man. He's in his 20s. He's from Albania and he begins to tell me his story about how, how the Muslims have come and 70% Islam today and he's Catholic. He grew up Catholic and he said something that broke my heart. It just actually, absolutely broke my heart. He said, if I was a Muslim, I'd be a Muslim. If I'm a Catholic. I was born a Catholic, so I'll be a Catholic. I said, no. I said, Zim, you don't understand. You just don't understand. You could have eternal life today. God sent His Son into this world to die for your sins so you could have a relationship with God. Zim, I want to pray for you. I want to continue to pray for you and he's been on my heart for the last couple of weeks and I have his email and I'm going to correspond with him, but that's the kind of stuff God wants us to do at work, wherever we are. Make a difference. Open your mouth. Help somebody to know that they're important, they're special. Every person is special. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you're here, you're a young person and particularly the young people first, and then we're gonna call everyone else, but if you are a young person, say, I wanna make a difference, I wanna make a difference, wherever I am, I wanna make a difference in my world. I want you to stand up right now, I want you to stand up right now, just stand up right now, you're a young person. Maybe there's one young person that'll stand up in this whole crowd, well, by God. Then that's courage on your part, you're a young person, I wanna make a difference. I wanna make a difference in my life, I wanna be an unlikely hero. I wanna make a difference, I want you to stand right now. I'm tired of the status quo. I'm I'm tired of going along with the crowd. I don't care if it's in my youth group, I'm just tired. I'm tired of just being a a, a backslidden, lukewarm Christian. I'm tired of being afraid of what other people think. I want to make a difference in my world. I want to make a difference in the people's lives around me. I want you to stand right now and say, yes, God. I want you to use me, God, wherever I am, God, I don't have to go around the world. I want you to use me. Anyone else, you're a young person, say, I want to make a difference in the balcony, in the cafe. I want to make a difference. We want to pray for you. In a moment, we're going to pray for you because you're courageous but maybe you're not a young person you think well you know i'm a little older now and you know i'm i'm really busy you know god's calling you today to make a difference be an unlikely hero and make a difference today you say you know what i want to make a difference i want to be filled with the spirit and i want god to take me to a deeper level and i want god to use me in a broader way i want god to use me i want to go against the status quo and i want to make a difference in my my life i want you to stand no matter who you are No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, I want to make a difference in my life. In my world around me, I want to make a difference. I want God to use me. I want God to use me. In a moment, God, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to begin to work in this place. It's Pentecost Sunday, and I believe we're going to come before the Lord, and God's going to speak to some of you. God's going to begin to nudge you. God's going to begin to call you. God's going to begin to show you that right where you are, Man, it might feel like a death camp. It might feel like a death sentence. But God's saying, you know what? Reach out and do something. Be be the answer for this world. Be the toolbox. Be the toolbox for that little kid to be carried to safety. Whatever it is, make a difference in your life. If you're here today and you want to make a difference in this world, I want you to step out of your seat right now. And I want you to come right here. We're going to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. In the balcony, don't let the balcony keep you. But step out of your seat. We're going to consecrate ourselves right here. God's going to speak to you. I believe somebody this morning is getting a message from the Lord I believe that somebody in this place is going to hear this is the location I want you to serve at I believe somebody in this room has been praying you've been praying you've been asking God you've been saying God where do I serve God I want to serve God God I want to be used by you God but I'm not hearing you God I don't know where God's gonna speak to you this day and he's gonna let you know this is where I want you to serve this is what I want you to do even in the balcony today don't let the balcony keep you you want to come and say God I want to make a difference in my world I want you to get out of your seat come on pull up a little closer pull up a little closer say God I want you to use me come on tighten it up tighten it up tighten it up tighten it up God I want you to use me God there's still others in this place you say I want to be used by God come today hallelujah hallelujah thank you Jesus you know every sermon every sermon should have a follow-up plan every sermon should have a next step in the plan of God using you I don't want this just to be an emotional response and so you've got some opportunities right in front of you grab a t-shirt You know, one of the ways that you can be bold is is to grab a t-shirt and say, you know, I'm going to start wearing this t-shirt and people are going to say, what is that on your t-shirt? Oh, that's my church. And man, we do some awesome things. It'll open up a door. How many of you want to use a t-shirt to open up a door so that God can use you in a powerful way? Anybody in this place want to use a t-shirt? Yeah, you're a smart guy. There's a free t-shirt. You're a smart woman. You're a smart woman. You're even smarter than him because you went for it before he did. (laughs) Anybody else want to use a t-shirt? To witness? Anybody else want to use a t-shirt to witness? You see that little boy right there? Yeah, give it to that little guy right there. Yeah, well, he'll take it. He's smart enough too. But everything has to have a next step. I want to encourage you. We have an opportunity right in front of us on June 9th to share the love of God with people that are going to come in the kingdom. Remember, every person, one person at a time, means the world to God. I think hundreds of people are going to get saved but if even one was it worth it all? Let me ask you a question. If somebody goes in the kingdom of God and lives in heaven for all of eternity is it worth $72,000? I think so. I think so. And this this Friday night we have an opportunity and I'm encouraging encouraging you to come out at 6.30 meet us in front of the church. I'm going out. And we need some big guys to come with us. You know, Hempstead can be a little tough sometimes. You know what I'm talking about. And we need some folks just to get out there. I know you're busy. We're all busy. But you know, we can do this together. We can do this together. We can touch one person at a time. So we're going to pray right now. We're going to ask the Lord to touch us and consecrate us today. Fill us with His Holy Spirit and use us like He's never used us before. Can you you bow your heads? Everybody's standing to our feet right now. Everybody in the congregation raising our hands. Maybe you didn't come forward because you're already doing this already. And that's great. That's fine. But just raise our hands towards heaven right now. And let's ask the Lord to anoint us right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your precious Holy Spirit come into this place. I ask, oh God, by the power of your Spirit, Lord God, that raised Christ from the dead, to come and touch us afresh and anew, God. And God, Show us where you want us to be. Show us what you want us to do, God. We're willing, Lord, to go where you tell us to go, God. Even though it makes us afraid, God, we're willing to obey you, God. But you need to lead us today, God. And, Lord, you empower those that come before you and say, use me, God. Lord, you never send us without power. And it's Pentecost Sunday today. God, fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Hallelujah. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, God. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit today, God. God, let the fire fall in this place, God. Oh. God, let the fire fall in our hearts, God. God, use us today by your spirit, God. God, touch us today. Would you keep your hands up and just say, God, touch me today? Put a burden in me today. Come on, let's cry out to God today. Let's cry out to God today. God, we cry out to you today. God, use us, Lord. Lord, we want to love like you love, God. Jesus, we're not here to judge people, Lord. We're not here to condemn people, God. We're here to love people, Lord God. Tomorrow, tomorrow, God's going to give you a divine opportunity. Tomorrow, God's going to sit you next to somebody that needs to hear. Tomorrow, God's going to Put somebody in your path that needs to be loved. Evangelism isn't an event. It's a lifestyle. And tomorrow God's going to give you a divine opportunity. And we have to seize the moment. Are you ready to pray a prayer of consecration? Say yeah. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, Jesus. thank thank you that you're making me an unlikely hero. Help me, God, to emerge from the crowd, from the status quo, and be an unlikely hero. Lord, help me to know that you're going to go with me, that you're going to open doors, divine opportunities, and I'll walk through them, Lord. Give me courage. Give me faith to do what you want me to do. Help me to have a dignity for life. Every human life, every person is important to you. No matter what he believes, no matter what she doesn't believe, you still love them. Help me to reach out. Use me for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. I want you to stay where you are for a moment. And I'm going to ask Jackson, we need to move on to the next service, but I'm going to ask Jackson to just sing a song for us. And I want you to listen carefully to the words of the song. And I want you to stand in the presence of God today. And I want you to let him use you. Let him touch you today. And let him speak to you today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus
1: We all face these choices
0: Jesus, Jesus,
1: Jesus We're going to serve Him, Jesus. we're going to serve ourselves
0: Oh, fire from heaven Oh, fire
1: from heaven song is called The Verge
0: Oh, fire from heaven
1: Hallelujah What choice we're going to make
0: Hallelujah
2: I'm quick to speak I'm quick to judge. Destroyed everything that I seem to touch All of these tears that I have cried Cannot seem to fix The seed of all these lies tongue it kills, ears are closed shut to his perfect will.